Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Are you going to give your attention to? Are you going to to look for uh, different kinds of education? What skills are you going to learn? Even physical development. <laughs> yes, I'm making a decision. I will get up and go to the gym or whatever it is. But it's those decisions that allow life to move forward. You know, some decisions are very short term, right? You know, I'm going to do this for the next six weeks. Right? We're doing small groups. And if you signed up for a small group, it's like six weeks. It's short term. Some decisions are lifelong. Like when I asked Rin Kim to marry me, that was a lifelong decision. But you know, even a small decision, a short one or a long-term decision, every decision has the potential to affect your life for the rest of your life. Everyone has that potential. You know, a lot of decisions, even if you can undo the decision, you can't undo the effect of them later, you know? You know, talking to young people specifically, but for everybody, you know, if you go and you, uh, uh, you know, make wrong decisions about, you know, alcohol or drugs and drive a car, you know, you can, you can totally change the trajectory of your life with one decision. If you make a family before you're ready to have a family, you know, um, you change your decision. You, you may repent of what you've done, but that, that the effects of that will continue. So decisions many times are, long-reaching. And so decisions are very serious. But here's the thing, you know, even a, po- even a positive, I shouldn't be just negative, even a positive decision, you know, how many of you have made a decision and you're so glad that you, you know, uh, did that one thing that would reward you for years to come? Maybe God showed you to buy a piece of property, a house, and you're just so glad you did because, you know, it's rewarding you now because you were obedient or you thought to do it. You know, maybe you went ahead and got that schooling or that or you decided to go to that church and or you decided to go down the altar and meet Jesus and it changed your life forever, right? You know, one decision can change the trajectory of your life positively or negatively, right? But how do you know when you're making decisions in life, how do you know that that person that you met online will be the one that you're going to do life with forever and ministry and build a family with? And that's what happened to me. How did I know? I don't know. God help me. But, but these decisions, they're important. They're important. How, how do you know that this is the right job? And I got to tell you, if you could see things from God's perspective, if you could, I mean, obviously, if you could see things from heaven's perspective and just look out and know what's going to happen and what's happening and what's going on that you can't see, it would make decisions a lot easier. Right. <laughs> Makes decisions very much easier. But uh, you see, we live in a world that there's a lot of gray areas, shadows, darkness. But God doesn't live in that world. God lives in a world of absolutes. He can see clearly every ramification. He sees things as black and white, good and evil. And he thinks in terms of absolutes. And that's why whenever God makes a decision, he's all in. no reservations. You ever think about that? When God decides to do something and he states it, he's 100% committed to that. He's all in. If he wrote it in this book, he's all in committed to it. He doesn't have to change his mind because he didn't make the decision under false, you know, a false uh, idea of what's going on. He knew what was going on. He could see everything and he made the decision to send Jesus. 
right? He thinks in terms of absolutes. And when he makes a decision, he is 100% all in. He doesn't waver. He doesn't back off. He's committed to it. The, the James 1.17, this verse says, uh, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, come, coming down from the Father of lights. Listen to this part, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's not gonna say something now and then change his mind later. If he said, I love you now, he's gonna love you. If he says, by my stripes you are healed or by my blood I've, I've redeemed your life, he want, that's his attitude toward you forever. Think about it like this. If you could live 100 years from now and read this book, it's gonna say the same thing. The same thing. So we might as well just enter in and believe it now. We might as well just grab hold of it now because it's not going to change. If we're ever going to live up to what God wants us to have fully in life, we're going to be the ones to change. And so we need to be changing now every day until we get to that place. But God doesn't change. There's no variation or shadow due to change. So when he gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. He didn't withhold even his best. Why? Because he is all in, 100% totally committed. Second Corinthians 1.20, it says that all the promises of God are maybe sometimes in him, right? No, it says all the promises of God in him are yes. Yes, he's already given us his yes. When he rescued us, he brought everything to the table. He offered it all for you and for me. But we've got to get to this place where we're willing to think like he thinks. We're willing to take these scriptures, take what he says and think about them as absolutely as he does. That's what will allow us to change. Look at some, uh, just some of these verses that uh, uh, I've, I've sorted through. They came to my mind and my heart as I was preparing this. Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will withhold no good thing? Or do you think that God's holding out on us? See, religion will teach us that God's holding out on us. But that's not his attitude. That's not what God demonstrated in Jesus, is it? I mean, Jesus went around, the Bible says, doing good and healing all who are under the oppression of the devil. There wasn't one person that he was withholding from ever. I mean, the closest you could get, you could say it was when, you know, he gave the Gentile woman a hard time. But even then, he he healed her. He healed her. I think he was playing with her. <laughs> I think he was, uh, you know, I think he was saying true that it had to go, the, 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 the message went to the Jews first, but he knew what he was going to do. He didn't have any hesitation healing the uh, uh, centurion's uh, servant, did he? He was like, I'll go heal him. So, so he does not withhold any good thing. This is true. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Come on, say it with me. He's not withholding from me. me. We've got to see it like this. Um, So God's all in, but here's what he's looking for. He's also looking for me and you to be all in 100%. You know, that's what the communion table was about too. You know, here's Jesus about to give his blood, right? But he had them all drink from the cup. Because why? They were also pledging to lay down their lives for the kingdom. When we come to God, he's laid down his life for us. It's a small thing for me to lay down my life for him. He gave 100%. When he demands 100% of me, that's a small thing. It's not like he just gave me, you know, 10% and then he still asks everything from me. 
He's not unreasonable in that. He gave everything, everything. And it's reasonable and right for me to give everything to him. And when we do that, when we commit ourselves, when we lay it all out for him, we go 100%, we'll also begin to think in terms of absolutes, like he does, absolutes. Look at, you're familiar with Psalm 91? Look at Psalm 91, starting at verse 5 talking about thinking about the scriptures in an absolute way. You'll not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, thank God, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I mean, we've seen pestilence. We're hearing about war and destruction right now, aren't we? It's going. It's all over the news. A thousand may fall at your side, he said, and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. It will not come near you. That's a pretty absolute statement, is it? It is. But here's the thing. Are we interpreting this in light of what we've just come through with COVID? Or are we going to take it as absolute value? Those challenging questions. I mean, I've, I've wrestled with these too. Well, we live in a fallen world. I know. And there's no condemnation if we get sick because he didn't come to condemn us. He came to rescue us. But what if I can bring myself to see this verse here as absolutely the truth? See, if I interpret it in light of my present circumstances, it loses the power to change me. But I want to become this. And it says, I'm not going to be afraid of the pestilence. I'm not going to be afraid of the destruction. A thousand may fall at my hand, but it will not come near me. And I'm going to stand on that word. I'm going to approach it as absolute. I'm going to allow it to change me. And if I miss it, then I'll miss it. But I'm going to believe the word of God. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. All, that's a word that we don't always believe. He heals, forgives all your iniquity. Come on, we trust him to forgive all our sins, don't we? Because we're expecting to stand before him one day and he's gonna say, I love you, you're forgiven, you're covered under the blood of Jesus because I don't want one sin, you know, is gonna mess up that day (laughs) for you. We trust him to cover all of our sins. But the same place that says he forgives all our sins, what about healing all my diseases? Can I trust him for the diseases part? If this is true and I take it absolutely, then I can expect to walk in health during my years on the earth. I can expect that because healing is for here. You don't need healed in heaven, right? When you go to heaven, it's, you know, it's another place. The healing is for my body and he bought our bodies and there'll be a resurrection of of the body. But when you're out of your body and you're in heaven, you're, you're, you're not needing healing is what I'm saying. So I'm just trying to make the case healing is for right now. Ephesians 6.16, here's another one that if you think about it, it's just amazing. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, somebody say all, all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all of them. Can you really live in a place where you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil? And in the Greek, you know, all means each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things and everything. I looked it up. <laughs> all, all the, the flaming evil. First John 5.18, 
I like this one. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The evil one does not. Is it possible to live in a place where the evil one cannot touch you? If you're born of God, you know, I mean, there's more to these verses than, than just the one point I'm making. But if I'm born of God, then I'm not going to keep on sinning, right? Why? Because Jesus protects me. And I can come to a place where I can live and it says the evil one doesn't touch me. I like that. Come on. Anybody want to run around the room? <laughs> Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all, there's that word again, all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you. Man, this is, this is the way you get all in with him. This is the way you need to start thinking about what he's doing. You know, the, the, the Pentecostal pioneers, you know, who did so much in, in the history of our movement, who transformed the face of the earth through going out as missionaries to different places. This is how they thought. They, they read God's word and they believed it and they acted on it to the point where they left home and families with no support and shot across the world to, to, uh, bring Jesus to people they've never met before. This was their mindset. They believed the word of God. It says, and nothing shall hurt you. The King James Version says, I've given you power to tread. I like that. On serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So I, I looked it up in the Greek and I don't speak Greek at all, but it's like, no, nothing, no shall hurt you. I mean, it's like two or three negatives in there trying to emphasize the point that nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus was not stuttering when he said this. This was not a slip of the tongue or a slip of the pen. This was said so deliberately and intentionally. You walk with me, I've given you authority and the devil shall not be able to hurt you. You're protected from the devil in this world. I like the International Children's Bible on that verse. Listen, it starts off. Listen, listen. I gave you power to walk on snakes and scorpions. I gave you more power than the enemy has. Nothing will hurt you. I like that. I gave you more power than the enemy has. Do you believe that? When you come into a difficult situation, you feel, I mean, how many people, when they feel like the devil's just targeted them, they lay down? Not you, not you. But we can't lay down just because we feel oppressed. Of course, there's going to be opposition. If you're going forward with God, there's going to be opposition. The devil doesn't work with us. He fights the things of God. And the more you look like God and act like God, the more opposition you're going to see. But don't worry because Jesus says, I've given you authority over all the authority of the enemy. I've given you power over all the authority of the enemy and nothing shall hurt. I've given, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's what he said. Power is ability. The enemy has some ability. He has no authority, all right? Because Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he said, look, all authority has been given to me, all authority. That means the devil has no authority. That means the devil's just doing what he can get away with. Come on, you, you, if you have kids, you know they do what they can get away with sometimes, right? Heck, sometimes you guys do what you can get away with. <laughs> it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, right? <laughs> but see, that, that doesn't stop the devil from acting just because he has ability, but you have authority over him. 
and your authority is greater than his. And he, Jesus says, nothing will hurt you. The living Bible says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and to walk among serpents and scorpions and to crush them and nothing shall end you. Why would God give us that authority? Think about that. Why would God give us that authority as the church to walk among serpents and scorpions? Because he needs somebody who will put them under his feet, right? You're the body of Christ. The book of Hebrews says, now we don't see all things subjected to him in this world. Why? Because if he came and foreclosed on the world now, people would go to hell. So he leaves the door open so many could come into salvation. But meanwhile, there's an enemy here wreaking havoc on people's lives. And he says, you're my body. I want you to put this devil under your feet. Do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbor. Do it for them. See, the mission of the church is tied up in this verse. Do you believe it? But we've got to think in terms of absolute. What this word says is true. He says, I've given you authority. And I didn't intend to speak on authority today. I, I'm, I'm really trying to speak on making decisions. But authority, when you know you have it, you walk in confidence toward these things. You can have authority and not know it. And you can let people run all over you. I'm just here to tell you today, God has given you authority. He's given you authority. So wherever the devil is trying to creep up in your life, you have the authority, the right, and even the responsibility to put that thing under your feet. My whole world changed when I started thinking about authority as responsibility. If you think about it, that's really, they're tied so closely together. They're almost synonymous in application, right? You're a manager of a business. You give your employee authority over the other people. What does he, why? He has responsibility. That's why you give him authority, right? So we're all talking about authority. And what we need to do is start taking responsibility, Take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for your people in your life. When people have a problem, I'll take responsibility for that. I'll pray for that. I'll minister to that. I'll take responsibility. You know, if you just major on the authority, you know, every everything needs re uh, redefined every so many years. You know, you get on one track and, and, and we've talked about authority a lot in the church and we can get to the idea that, oh, I can sing songs and jump around and I have authority over the devil and then I go out and it doesn't change my life. But when I sing songs and jump around and celebrate my authority in Jesus Christ and go out and take responsibility, now that authority has application and meaning and I'll begin to see my world change. So we've got to see this Bible as absolute truth. I don't know if this song was popular here, but where I where I grew up was out in the Midwest, as many of you know. We used to sing a song in my dad's church, and it was said, if the Lord says I'm a blessing, then I am. And all the kids would sing, I am. You know, anybody know that song? No? Am I the only one? Well, we'd sing that song. Well, I, you know what, Tom? Are you serious? If, if Tom doesn't know it, it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm serious. Obviously doesn't exist in Tennessee. It goes, we'd sing, if the Lord says I'm a blessing, then I am. I am. If the Lord says I am salt, then I am. I am. If the Lord says I'm a light in this world shining bright, if the Lord says I am, then I am. Verse two, if the Lord says I am righteous, then I am. If the Lord says I am healed, then I am. If the Lord says I am more than a conqueror in this world, 
If the Lord says I am, then I am. See, I like, there's, ab, there's determination there. There's absolute. If God says it, it's true. Now, how is my behavior going to change in light of this truth? How am I going to start acting day to day in view of the fact that God says I am light and salt? See, if it doesn't lead to a change, it's just theory. But if I think of it absolutely, it's got to change my life. It's got to. It's got to change my behavior because you're more than a conqueror. So what it says, you know, Romans 8, 35, right? Uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Boy, that's quite a list there, isn't it? This is what the early church faced. So what Apostle Paul faced. And in the face of all this, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, right? The next verse, he goes, as it is written, he's quoting a verse, for your sake, we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What's the first word in the next verse? No, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. I'm not a sheep to be slaughtered. Nakedness, famine, sword, all this oppression, but no, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, nothing. And then he goes on, for I am sure, He is determined, he is absolute that neither life nor death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. Come on, that's a he's getting pretty vast here. (laughs) Nor things present or things even to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I think he's trying to include everything that can possibly include it in this statement. Nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. And so God wants us to give our all because he's given his, his, he's given his all. He wants us to be fully committed, holding nothing back. And he wants us to bring us to that place where we will also go all in with him. Come on, it's a partnership yes. to go all in with him. He's not looking for me just to lay down and, you know, die. And he's looking for me to lay down and surrender and die so he can raise me up and I can have resurrection life with him. Even right now, we all talk about wanting that resurrection life, but nobody's willing to die, it seems. You don't get resurrection unless you die. And we're supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That's the true Christian experience. Is that absolute in your life? Because that's what he has for us. There's resurrection life on the other side of that. All in, fully committed. But to do that, we've got to start seeing things clearly. We have to see things in an absolute way. You know, before the Israelites entered the promised land, he took, Moses took them there and he talked to them about the blessing and the curses, right? Blessings for uh, keeping his command and curses for forgetting him, right? Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your offspring may live. Choose life. Choose life. He's, he made it clear for them, didn't he? He's trying to help them to come to a place where they can think in absolute clear terms so that they could see it as life and death, blessing and cursing, good and bad. Um, uh, Joshua did the same thing right before he died. After they entered the land, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He lays it out for them. You have a choice. Here's your choice. Serve these false gods that these other people served who were here before you drove them out or serve God. 
but for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. He wants us to be clear on things and we need to become very comfortable with these kinds of absolutes. We need to stay away from the shadows and the gray areas in this world. We just do. You know why, you know why so many gray areas and shadows exist? Because people want to compromise. That's where they come from. Hey, I have kids. I know how it works. Benjamin, did you hit her? Okay, it's a yes or no question. You either hit her or you didn't. I get an explanation, man. <laughs> that by the time it's done, not only was it justified, it was right and the noble thing to do to hit her. <laughs> the gray area. We create our own gray areas by our excuses, by our natural human reasoning, our natural human wisdom, right? Which the Bible says is what? Demonic, right? God had compassion though for the people of Nineveh. He said they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know their right. Come on, right and left, they're like mutually exclusive. I can't go left and right at the same time. They're different. But they couldn't tell the difference. They couldn't distinguish. They didn't know. They were not thinking in absolute. They were living in such a gray area. They could not tell that there was a difference between right and left. Right and left. But you can't have right and left at the same time. You're going to go one way or the other. You're going to go one way at a time. So God wants us to bring, God wants to bring us to a place where we can see that clarity, that difference between light and darkness, life and death, and make a decision for him. Acts 26, 18. This is what um, the apostle Paul, when he was uh, explaining, he was talking about how God called him into the ministry. And, And he said, God told me that I'm going to be sent to the Gentiles, to the nations to open their eyes. For open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. So they possibly were living in darkness and didn't know it until their eyes were open. And Paul was God's messenger to go and have people open their eyes. And that's what I'm praying this morning. God, open our eyes so that we can see your word and what you're doing in an absolute way so that we can choose you. That we can also choose life. That we can choose everything that you have for us to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Look at that. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's good stuff, isn't it? So God wants us to come out of our shadows too and into his light so that we can see the difference between right and wrong. You know, come on, that's how you, that's how you first learn it, right? That's how I teach my kids. This is right. This is wrong, right? And then how do you reinforce that with reward and punishment, right? Blessings and curses. That's what God was doing to Israel. You do right. You get blessings. You get reward. You do wrong. Here's punishment, right? But then when we get more mature in our thinking, we start thinking more broad. Broadly, we think of it's good and evil good and evil. It's getting outside of just, and then if you can get to the place where God sees it, it all comes down to life and death. Life and death. I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. It's about life and death. So either I'm serving God or I'm not. Either I'm saved or I'm not. Either I'm filled with his Holy Spirit or I'm not. Because there's no such thing as non-binary with God. Seriously, no such thing as non-binary. That's something people make up. And they're becoming more and more confused and they're living in more and more darkness. 
and God's still wanting to bring clarity. You know, when God created the heaven and the earth, what did he do? The first thing it says is he separated the light from darkness. He separated the light from darkness. And ever since, people have been trying to mix light and darkness back together. That's exactly what's going on. People are trying to mix light and darkness back together. But God separated them to begin with. And through all of these verses I've read and all these things I'm saying, he's trying to separate light and darkness so that you can see, open your eyes so you can see the difference. You know, when Adam sinned, he knew he learned what evil was because before that he only knew good. He wasn't even aware that there was anything other than what he was experiencing. And then when he sinned, he learned what evil was. He became cognizant of both good and evil. But God now is continually working in the earth to bring us to a place where we will choose the good. But most people would rather stay in the shadows. Because with my excuses, I can hide in the shadows thinking I'm not going to have to choose. Somehow if I don't choose I can maybe keep myself from experiencing evil. But all we're really doing is we're keeping ourselves from experiencing the good that God actually has for us. Come out of the shadows, open your eyes and choose him. John chapter three and verse 19, Jesus is talking. This is right after, you know, he gave that wonderful verse uh, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He goes on and he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Is that not what, is that's what we see right now, isn't it? People love the darkness because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You know, good gospel preaching, especially evangelistic preaching, you know, it would always bring people to a point of decision, right? You know, you're going to either choose God or you're going to choose against God, but you're not going to leave unchanged today. <laughs> That's, you know, they would, they would present the evidence and powerfully preach you into a corner, man, or you're going to accept this or not. You know, Jesus' teaching was, was very similar. And so I said today we're going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for, uh, for um, two years. Thank you, Rick. It's, been, it's only been nine weeks. This is only number nine. I don't like to usually go this long. But with everything, everything going on and missed Sundays and stuff and guest preachers and missionaries, it's been a while. Yeah, not two years, though. But, uh, uh, Bruce, this is actually number nine. <laughs> um, Sermon on the Mount, absolute. So don't worry, I'm already almost done, okay? I just want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. And we're just going to look at the very end of this. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, going on from here. Um, what you're going to see is that Jesus presents for us in clarity, in absolute terms, two roads, two trees, two professions, and two foundations. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So he's saying there's two ways. There's only two ways, the broad way and the narrow way. 
if this is true, and it is, this should actually scare any reasonable person to think that there's a broad way and most people are on it and there's a narrow way and very few find it. All of these people are going to destruction and the people on the narrow way are the only ones headed toward life. I was, uh, I can't even remember what I was teaching about, but I was teaching some kids and I think I read this verse and, or I read some, another verse and this kid was just so, it was, the God was on him. You could tell and he was so captivated by what he, what I said. And he said to me, does that mean only a few people are going to be saved? And, uh, I, I was like, well, that's a hard question for a bunch of 12 year olds, isn't it? You know, you don't want to preach condemnation and stuff, but, but all of a sudden it just, what came out of my spirit was this verse. I said, no, yeah, actually Jesus said that. He said, there's a broad way and the multitudes are on it. You go out into the world and uh, look around you. Most people are on the broad way. It's just true. I like what some of the other translations, how they read this verse. I printed them out. Um, the CEV, the uh, contemporary English version says, go in through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. But the gate to life is very narrow and the road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. You know, what makes a path broad? People traveling on it, right? It's packed down, it's wide. That's what makes it easy. It's not narrow because God made it narrow for us to uh, to keep us out. It's just that there's not many people traveling on it. There's not many examples of how to walk this life. You got to be close to God if you're going to walk this life because, you know, you might find yourself like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in Babylon looking around saying, I only know maybe two other people in this whole place who's serving you. And they set their hearts to do the right thing. And that's how we need to live. It says in the International Children's Bible, I like reading the children's Bibles sometimes just to see how they word things. Enter through the narrow gate. The road that leads to hell is a very easy road and the gate to hell is very wide. Many people enter through that gate, but the gate that opens the way to true life is very small and the true and the road to true life is very hard. Only a few people will find that road. I don't know how many a few is because... God wants everybody to be saved. So what the Bible says is very clear, but he says in relationship to the many on the broad road, there's only a few saved. New Testament for everyone. Go in by the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction you see is nice and wide and the road going there has plenty of room. Lots of people go that way, but the gate leading to life is narrow and the road going there is a tight squeeze. Not many people find their way through. Enter by the narrow gate, Philip's translation says, for the wide gate has a broad road which leads to disaster and there are many people going that way. The narrow gate and the hard road lead out to life and only a few are finding it. You know, you just think about who's on that road. And it's not filled with just thieves and liars and drunkards and people addicted with chemical addictions. That's not who's on that road. I mean, some, yeah, they're on that road too. But so are, you know, political leaders, businessmen, um, uh, uh, you know, professional people, people you would not think, who you would think are doing okay. They're on that road. Just go out into a public place and look around and just imagine if this is true and absolute, how many people are not making it? What kind of people are not? It's a sobering thought. I'm telling you, we have a mission here, right, in America, 
right, in Knoxville to shine and, and do this. But we've got to come to the place where we see these things as absolute. We've got to be walking so clearly on the road. If your life is a life of compromise, how will you ever win people over to following you on the narrow road? Right? And I really wish Jesus would have said something like, you know, the, the, there's several roads. Some just wind around and take longer to get to life than others. But he didn't. He said, there's one road, one narrow road that leads to life because he, he's bringing us to a place of absolute. Either we're walking with him, we're serving him, or we're not. The, the way that is narrow that leads to life, it takes focus to walk the narrow way. The Y road is a road of dissipation and distraction. And boy, there are many distractions out there. But it's not something that we can afford anymore. We've got to be focused. We've got to be single-minded in many ways to serve God and to follow him. We've got to live with intention. Because if we just follow every distraction there is out there, all right, live with intention. Two trees. Actually, Jesus is not just talking about two trees here. He's talking about prophets. He says religious leaders, religious teachers. Look at verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree, here's where he gets really specific. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. I mean, that's an absolute statement right there, right? Come on, because I've seen good trees having worm-eating fruit, you know, I mean, in nature. But we're living in this gray area here. From God's perspective, you're a good tree or you're a bad tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their th fruits. Like I said, he's using fruit and trees as an example, but he's talking about prophets. What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who's supposed to speak for God, right? So what would be a false prophet? Somebody who's acting like they're speaking for God, but they're not speaking for God. They're speaking their own things, maybe for their own interests, you know? When I was in India last year, it's funny because you know, I was sitting there in, uh, in the, you know, the whole village is really basically in the jungle, and I'm sitting there in the jungle. I can't tell one jungle shrub from another. But when I look up the hill and I see bananas hanging off of one, I'm like, that's a banana plant right there. <laughs> Thank God for bananas, you know, because how I could recognize it by the fruit because I knew what a banana was, right? So what's the fruit of the prophetic voices that you're listening to, the religious voices that are out there today? What's the fruit of it in your life? All right, we're the, to judge a prophet is we're not supposed to judge their charm, their personality, their eloquence, or how many people are following them, right? Because the multitudes are on the wide path, right? We're supposed to judge their fruit, their doctrine, their lifestyle, how they live. There are many out there who claim to speak for God today. So let me ask you this: Does the prophetic voice, the the religious voice, the that that the way those out there who are proclaiming the way to God, the way to life, is it causing you to walk closer to God? Is it causing you to desire clean living, right living before God? Does it cause you to develop to desire being in fellowship with one another? And does it have? Here's the big one. If what you're listening to doesn't have the power to change you, it's not God. Because God's words have the power to transform your life, to change you, right? And that's why when I'm willing to receive his words as absolute and say, God, I'm not measuring up to that. I'm at a point of decision. I'm not there. Change me. Don't change the word, make a gray area so that I can think I'm okay. Change me and let me measure up to what you've said. Let me really live in this world as salt and light. 
Let me really live in this world as more than a conqueror. Does it lead to narrow way or the broad way? That's the question. So next verse 21, it talks about the two professions. This leads right into this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, they're coming there with all their religious things that they said they did. Casting out demons and, and what do you say? Many mighty works and doing miracles and prophesying in your name. Just because you say in Jesus, just because you say thus saith the Lord doesn't mean thus said the Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> just because you're tagging his name on it doesn't mean you're speaking for him. You're speaking for him when he knows you and you're connected to him. Because when you stand before him on that day and you say, confess him, Lord, Lord, and he doesn't know you, your confession doesn't mean very much. It was your connection to him, your relationship. Does he know you? Do you know him? And you follow the false prophets, this is where you end up. And finally, I mean, he sums it all up in verse 24 and on. Everyone who then, who hears these words of mine, listen, we don't have to listen to everybody when we have Jesus to listen to, right? I mean, we are so blessed. There are places in this world where they don't even have the Bible in their language yet, or the Bible is contraband or whatever. I mean, we have, I have every translation that I could want right here. I mean, either online or in my bookshelf. We are so blessed. I can read. I won't, man, we will not have an excuse standing before God when we have such the words of life right here (laughs) at our fingertips. Man, what are we going to do with it? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does them, that's the word, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came. The winds blew. I want to sing another kid's song right now. (laughs) But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he's the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Listen, same thing happened to both houses. The rain fell, the floods came. Both houses go through the storm, right? I mean, there's, you know... (laughs) I'm, I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I, I don't want to be that. But I'm telling you, you go through stuff. You go through stuff. You just do. The storm comes to both houses. But what was the difference? Was it hearing the word? No. It was doing the word that you heard. Both heard the word, didn't they? Both heard the word. But one actually took it as what it was, the word of God, took it as absolute and carried it out and made a decision to do it to be a doer of the word. So I don't think we realize the power that we have to make a decision. God always protects the decision. That's why he took Israel to say, choose you this day who you will serve. I'm sitting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I'm not going to choose for you. It's your choice. Then Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, but you choose this day who you will serve, right? And he's saying the same thing today. Will you choose me? I'm laying it out black and white so that you can see it clearly. Will you choose me? I don't think we always realize the power of our choice because we've given our mind, our culture has this fatalistic mindset about God that if he wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. And we don't realize the role we play in bringing heaven into earth by our choices and our actions. 
You can choose and God will respond. That doesn't make you God. Don't, don't, I mean, there's people who get off in that way too. It doesn't make you God. It just means God wants to do these and he's looking for somebody who will believe him and run with it. So he's wanting us to walk this way, but it's going to take the determination that comes with absolute thinking. And you know, a real decision, a real decision is measured in the fact that you've taken new action. Think about that, right? If there's no new action connected to your decision, then there really was not a decision, was there? Or, or it wasn't a meaningful decision because it didn't lead to a change in action or a change in behavior or a new action. You know, emotions are really important. They really are. I mean, I've, I've probably, I've made a mistake um, most of my life thinking that we could just shove our emotions aside and try to live by principle. Man, emotions are great. And, and they're right and they're good. And we're supposed to even love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We can love him emotionally. We're supposed to. But emotions, they, they help they help motivate you and get you going, but it's not enough just to feel like, oh, I'm really going to change. It's what we do when we walk out there and live out our lives. Am I going to set some parameters in my life? Am I going to change some things? There's some things that I need to stop doing. There's some things I need to begin doing. How do I spend my time? Come on, your time is your most important asset there is. There's nothing more important than, than the time that you have right now. That's one thing that God made sure we all had was time, isn't it? You know, and, and I've some things that, you know, there was a time in my life when I was seeking after God and, and it was a time of surrender because I was laying down the rest of my life to enter into the ministry. And, and I've told many of you the story before, but it's when I started taking things out of my life that would distract my time. Right. And that's when I got, you know, started selling my my sports car and my motorcycles and stuff like that. Because why? It's not because you can't have a car. If honestly, if the car was it was a project, you know, it was when I was restoring. So I looked at it and I saw the time. That's what I kept seeing. Every time I'd go out in the garage and look at my motorcycles, I saw the time I had to put into these. And I said, God, I'm not going to keep these and invest my time in this. I'm going to give you my time. And so I got rid, I mean, I'm telling you, if they were restored, I'd have kept them. <laughs> there is no question, I'd have kept them. But the reason I, I made the decision was because of the time I saw involved into making them what I needed them to be. It was for me laying down things that were, I felt at that time in my life were unnecessary. God didn't tell me to do it. I did it. I did it because it was the logical and right thing to do. And I'm just asking you that. What things do you need to begin to implement in your life? And don't wait for God to make you do it. Make the decision and do it. You can make the decision right now to show God that you're willing to, to do what he wants you to do and come and join with him in that absolute sense where you're partnered together with him and let heaven flow through you. Come on, amen, that's good. Rin Kim and I are simplifying again. We're trying to, aren't we? Just trying to get rid of clutter, man. We have too much clutter. Taking a lesson from Crystal. Get rid of stuff, right? 
get rid of all of it, man. Just because, man, I want I want to live simple in that in that sense. That doesn't mean that it's wrong to have things by any means. But but um, for us, I mean, we have stuff that's really not worth a lot, and it's just clutter. You know, it's good to declutter. You know, but there's also some things that you need to start doing. You know, maybe you need to start waking up at a certain time or staying up later. You know, after your work's done and and seeking the Lord or or praying or reading the scriptures or 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 do something to build the Word of God into your life. You know, don't don't wait for God to to make you do it. Do it on uh, as a decision. It's okay. You can you have the power to decide. That's what I'm setting before you today. This wonderful thing called life that God gives us, and then the shadows and the darkness in the world. Let's come into the life with our actions and our decisions. You can decide to do things that show Him that you're serious. Just do things that you know. Just take this word. Take it as absolute and then just make decisions in your life based on the fact that this word is true. And see what God does. See what doors he opens. See how he moves. See how he meets all your needs if you give up things. See how he gives you. I mean, don't do it to try to get him to give things back to you. Just do it. But watch him meet you. turn around then and meet your needs in ways that you couldn't have imagined. He's good that way, isn't he? You know, either I'm serving him or I'm not. Either I'm saved or I'm not. Either I'm filled with the Holy Spirit or I'm not. And I'm going to close with this today. I'm just, I mean, I'm not, I I feel like I'm not even going to do an altar call. I'm going to just ask you, you know, with no music playing and every head up and every eye looking around. (laughs) I'm just going to ask you to seek the Lord and make these decisions. The power of decisions is within your ability. It's within you. And uh, I just want to say it's time that we live in, in, in a sense of absolute before God. It's time we take our place as children of God because we're not good to the world out there if we're living lukewarm, gray area, mixed up lives, are we? You can, and you can't win the world by being like them. They already have enough of that right? Why do we think we need to be like the world to win the world? Look, we're not trying to be offensive to anybody, but the truth of the matter is if you have exactly what they have, why would they even want it? Right? I mean, I, it always amazes me that that people think that, oh, I'm going to win the world by by trying to do the same things the world does and they'll see how cool I am. Look, okay, the world defines what is cool. They've created these things that you're copying. Why be a copy? Be an original. People were attracted to Jesus. Multitudes came to Jesus. The multitudes came to the early church when they went out. Peter and Paul and them, they, they, multitudes came into the kingdom. Multitudes followed people who were willing to live absolutely and make a decision to live for heaven, to live for God. Amen? Oh, there you go. Go do it. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word. I pray that it doesn't just, uh, I pray this word challenges us. I pray it challenges me, Lord, to see your word ever more and more as absolute and clear, Lord, so that I can make these decisions, that I can walk with you. And as I make these decisions, my life will move forward in you. Lord, let this church just continue to shine. We thank you for your presence that is in this church. We thank you that you're with us. Lord, I just pray that we would shine even more, carry these things out into our world where we work and where we live. And I would pray that everybody here today would make decisions for you this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.